If you live in our society, you're going to be living in a vicious cycle of getting presented with default, automatic, easy choices that are mostly unhealthy, getting broken down and weakened by those choices. People go through a try-fail cycle many times over that makes them feel discouraged. They wear out their ability to exert willpower. And then they become self-shamed and self-blamed to the point that they become eventually helpless. The next cycle is called the virtuous cycle of healthy deviance, that before you take on a significant challenge, you first do simpler, smaller things that allow you to reclaim your own sense of self-efficacy, your belief that you can make change. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. I've been really looking forward to catching up with today's guest, Pilar Gerasimo, founding editor of Experience Life magazine. And Pilar and I met back in 2016 on Powder Mountain in Utah at a private gathering of functional medicine influences, really. And ever since, we've stayed good friends. And Pilar argues that in an unhealthy society like ours, being a healthy person requires choices and patterns so unconventional, they amount to a positive form of social deviance. And so I've invited her to answer the quintessential question, how do you get people to being healthy in an inherently unhealthy world? And how do you get them to say yes to health and happiness when so much of our society is conspiring against that. So Pila, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Julie. It's such a pleasure and an honor to be with you. And so great to be reconnecting after a period of, like most of us have had, a cocooning in our own little worlds. So I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I've always uh, admired you for all the work that you've been doing in the integrative and functional medicine world and beyond. And I really got to start with the healthy deviant, a rule breaker's guide to being healthy in an unhealthy world. Really curious, how did it all start? How did you come up with the concept? Well, a lot of the work that I've done since 2001, when I started Experience Life magazine, some people may have seen this, it's been around for a long, this is me on the cover, but I was only one time on the cover, not like Oprah. The magazine was really the start of me wanting to tell a different story from a different angle about health improvement and health transformation. And the magazine was very innovative at the time we started it in 2001. There was no other whole person, whole life, health and li healthy living magazine. And one thing that Experience Life did really differently than other magazines was look at the context of our society, the influences on individual health beyond just personal responsibility and willpower and knowing what you should do. Sort of like, how do you do this in the face of obstacles was a central question. And I think that differentiated the magazine. Then in 2010, I launched a project called Revolutionary Act. And I wrote an article about thriving in a mixed up world, a manifesto on that topic. And I've created an app called 101 Revolutionary Ways to Be Healthy. And I think a lot of the ideas in my book were initially explored in that project. That said, I didn't really have an opportunity to tell the whole story from my perspective or share the fullness of my passion around this topic. And for me, acknowledging, first of all, that 
health doesn't happen in a vacuum, that it happens in community and in society with support or <laughs> obstacles and obstructions is really important. And it's, I think the thing that's often missing, even in functional medicine, where we often talk about root cause medicine and looking at the root cause, so often the root cause explored has to do with the individual person's life, not the individual in the context of a society gone totally nuts. So I talk a lot about that in all of my work, but the book for me was the first time I got to tell the whole story, explain my own story a little bit in one part, what I call the healthy deviant hero's journey, which is really, you know, the pathway that most of us walk through, whether we're practitioners and professionals in this space or patients, human beings uh, struggling to change our health or help other people change their own, that voyage happens in the world. And I think that most of us recognizing now in a mid-pandemic probably world that the determinants of health are often social in nature and what is inside our own minds that turns into the things that make it hard for us to be compliant, for example, <laughs> with a health improvement program is that we're already complying with our society's expectations and demands of us. And that's a lot of what breaks us down in the first place. So if we don't acknowledge that set of challenges while we're trying to help people change their lives, I think it, oftentimes we're doing them a disservice and we're working against our own best interests as agents of change. Yeah. And, you know, just having read through the book when it first came out, it is really a very comprehensive manual to really explore this world. And for me, it was really just opening up. There's this biopsychosocial model. There's all these social determinants that decide whether or not we do what's in our best interest. So, you know, working with integrative and functional medicine practitioners, I often see this vexing question from specifically health practitioners. Why do people procrastinate? taking action on the health when the potential upside is so infinite. And can you unpack this maybe a little bit deeper from where we started, why people often self-sabotage their best intentions? Yeah. First of all, I don't know that I see it as self-sabotage. I see it as societal sabotage. And one of the truisms, one of the principles that I believe is, I write about this in the book, that what looks like a problem of willpower or self-discipline is often actually a problem of chronic depletion and distraction. And we live in a society that has so many demands on our attention, our resources, our time, our energy, our focus, that we get worn down during the course of our daily lives, trying to manage our families, our work, our finances, literally our attention at the level of social media and media coming at us all the time, we're yeah. fractured. So when someone well-meaningly suggests to us that all we need to do is an elimination diet or an exercise program or a sleep hygiene program, we don't remember that we're loading this on top of an already completely overloaded system. So a lot of my counsel has to do with understanding first two cycles. One cycle that I refer to as the vicious cycle of the unhealthy default reality, which is my term for our society. If you live in our society, you're going to be living in a vicious cycle of getting presented with default, automatic, easy choices that are mostly unhealthy, getting broken down and weakened by those choices, trying and failing typically to embrace programs that are going to solve that problem for you, supposedly, <laughs> even if they're good programs. Often what happens, people go through a try-fail cycle many times over that 
makes them feel discouraged, causes what we now refer to as ego depletion, making they wear out their ability to exert willpower. And then they become self-shamed and self-blamed to the point that they become eventually helpless. They encounter (laughs) what positive psychologists refer to as learned helplessness. And that's this experience of feeling like I've tried this before, it doesn't work. Why am I just sending good energy after bad? So usually what happens when that occurs is that people wait a while and then they try the next thing and they experience that cycle again. So many, I think, functional medicine practitioners and integrative practitioners present people with really well-designed protocols. They might even explain to them how this is going to affect the root cause of their problem, unlike the other things they've tried before. But when it comes right down to it, the requirements of shopping, cooking, taking time out of a schedule, planning new things in, those are really too much for most people until and unless they have reclaimed some of their natural energy and vitality and resilience through the next cycle that I'll describe. And that cycle is called the virtuous cycle of healthy deviance. And really what that proposes is that before you take on a significant challenge, for example, like an elimination diet or uh, an intensive protocol of another type, gut healing protocols, for example, you first do simpler, smaller things that allow you to reclaim your own sense of self-efficacy, your belief that you can make change. So I recommend a series of what I call renegade rituals that allow people to gradually build capacity and believe that they can make positive change and to experience the benefits of those small-scale changes. Oftentimes that process, which I, (laughs) I refer to as like reclaiming your mojo, helps them build up enough capacity that they can then embrace additional changes, a phase I call raising your game. And I can talk more about that virtuous cycle, but it effectively begins with amplified awareness, noticing what's going on inside and around you, proceeds to what I call preemptive repair, the second nonconformist competency of healthy deviance. That's about getting ahead of the damage using renegade rituals and other strategies. And then eventually the third nonconformist competency, which is continuous growth and learning. And that's really about then developing skills of the healthy person, developing the capacities and knowledge base of the healthy person, which allows people to maintain these changes over the long term and raise their game continually as they go. So the trick is that once you've reached this place of learned helplessness, it's really hard to get back up the gumption to keep going or to begin again. And for many people, it's just that stop-start cycle continues their whole life. But they get diminished capacity as they go and less and less confidence. By the time most people get to functional medicine doctors, and other practitioners, it's really important to remember that many of them have been doing various types of diets and interventions for decades. So my general recommendation is that we start leading people toward a different cycle. And that cycle I call the virtuous cycle of healthy deviance. And it's really a different approach, but it's got three nonconformist competencies at the center of it, or kind of in the core of it. And the very first nonconformist competency is called amplified awareness. And that includes awareness of the fact that you've been in the Vishai cycle before. And I think that's just something we tend to forget that people need to be acknowledged for the experiences they've had up until this time and be encouraged to notice what triggers unhealthy choices, what when they get depleted, what they're most likely to do, and then begin intervening at that level. That brings me to the second nonconformist competency, which is preemptive repair. And that's a term I coined to 
help people understand that you need to start getting ahead of the damage that's done to us just by virtue of living in this unhealthy culture, that we get depleted, we get overwhelmed, burned out, freaked out, traumatized. And until you begin learning skills that help you both safeguard your energy and attention more thoughtfully, more preemptively or proactively, you're going to be vulnerable to the influences of the unhealthy default reality. That vicious cycle is coming for you every single day. The moment you wake up, it comes at you. So that then leads to a series of interventions and experiments that I call renegade rituals. I begin with really simple kind of tiny step interventions that have both a really significant impact on people's attention, their you know, mindfulness, if you want to call it that, although I have my issues with that term, that noticing is really the most important part. And then the self-respect that comes from getting ahead of the damage. For example, I have a three-minute morning minutes practice that has been transformational for me and so many other people. But it's not that like 30 minutes of yoga followed by 10 minutes of meditation followed by 16 minutes of green smoothie followed by, you know, it's like three minutes when you wake up and anybody can do it, you'd think. Except what happens is really interesting. People realize that even three minutes is surprisingly challenging. Even if you say you can do something different on every single day, all it has to be is enjoyable and low-key and not digital or media-oriented. They're like, oh, that sounds doable. It, it reminds me of a recent conversation with um, Linda Falk Phillips, among the founders of the Tiny Habits Method, and she said this this morning ritual or just, just mantra, whatever it is, doesn't have to be long, but it's the intention behind it that really makes or breaks your day. And obviously it ties very well together with other podcast guests, for instance, Lara Celia talking about how we deplete our cognitive reserves. And if you want to get out of this, the first thing you have to sort of safeguard the resources that you have and really be ruthless in prioritizing what do I say yes to, what do I say no to, and yeah. not let default society and norms run your show. Yes, I think that's right. And I think my book, goes about those types of interventions in a somewhat different way, which is like building from the first moment that you wake up on a, say, a very simple three-minute morning minutes practice, but noticing what gets in the way. That's the amplified awareness. When you notice, oh, it's my kids needing attention. Oh, it's my work email needing attention. Oh, it's the tendency that I have to just want to stay in bed longer and feel that I'm hard done by if I force myself to get out of bed. My answer to which is you could stay in bed and do this morning practice. You don't have to leave your bed necessarily. But it's using kind of creative, counterintuitive I call them almost like jujitsu strategies for beginning to gradually rebuild your sense of capacity and autonomy and reframing the challenge from being me against myself. I need to be a better person and have better willpower and leave behind that lazy, no good version of myself that's been killing me. And instead seeing it as I need to understand I'm up against a foe if we want to frame it that way, yeah. the unhealthy default reality is coming for me and my resources, my money, my time, my energy, my self-esteem. The worse the unhealthy default reality makes me feel about myself, the more stuff I feel like I need to buy to solve my problem. And I'm off on that vicious cycle again. So it's a reframing of the problem. It's a radical reframing of the solution. I, in fact, in the book, I talk about it as you know seeing the unseeable problem from a very different angle. And that includes things like evolutionary biology, the fact that we our bodies were formed in very different circumstances than the ones we're living in now. But also 
having a renegade solution that isn't just heaping more responsibility on yourself. It's really about how to unburden yourself from the torture of living, you know, in what I consider to be basically an unendurable set of circumstances that we've been trying to comply with. So for functional medicine practitioners who are saying, hey, all I want you to do is just comply with my protocol. Remember <laughs> that what you're asking people to do is now yet another form of compliance when they're really already in the thrall of some stuff that you have to dig them out of first. To me, that's a collaboration of people like me helping people with lifestyle change and behavior change and mindset change and folks like you know functional medicine physicians and other practitioners who can give them technical information about their specific situation. But the vast majority of what people are dealing with is a shared set of circumstances. So I, my passion is helping people master the art of being healthy in an unhealthy world. So I'm curious, you have alluded it in the very beginning, the impact of community and not just doing this, you with yourself, but you know, when you have other people around it and when you have a coach or supportive environment around you, you know, what happens? How is it going to fast track things? How is it going to improve results? I believe that for most people, the sense of alienation that they experience on a daily basis is one of the most overlooked factors in terms of what prevents them from being able to make the kinds of healthy changes that they want to. Again, when you feel like the odd person out trying to do the healthy thing, you are deviating from social norms and you're going to run into resistance of various kinds. Some of it's overt. Like, why are you doing that? That's weird. The way you're eating is annoying. You know, you used to be so much fun, shaming and blaming and other types are more covert or subtle forms of social pressure, which is just like, there isn't enough time in the day for you to do all the things that we expect you to do yeah. and be on this diet and do this workout and so on. So when you have a, either a trusted guide who someone is like, and helping you anticipate these problems, acknowledging them, not making it about you, but helping you reframe it as how do you overcome this obstacle course called our current reality? That's huge because people who have experienced this successfully, gone through their own transformations themselves, often are really much better at predicting the kinds of challenges you're going to face and honoring them and helping you come up with strategies for overcoming them. Again, preemptively, not waiting until you get into trouble, but saying, it's going to be a bit of a trick potentially for you to learn how to cook differently. So here are some strategies to make that easier, or here's what to expect in terms of time. Here are some ways to be rethinking your priorities or renegotiating your reality, a term I've coined <laughs> around healthy deviance, because for many people, that's essential. So a coach or a guide can be helpful, but having a community of support, being surrounded by other healthy deviants, deviators who are resisting <laughs> the pull of the unhealthy default reality. That's also really important because we are herding creatures. You know, we are creatures who like to be around other people and we have a built-in survival mechanism that tells us we need other people to be happy to survive. So when you are around other people, even if their protocol is different, they are doing something that is transformational, that is up against the unhealthy default reality. There's a sense of esprit de corps. There's a sense of acknowledgement and a sense of a, a less lonely sense of doing something that has worth and meaning to it. In my world, I have a few different groups. For example, I've got a Healthy Deviant Facebook group, which is public. I've got about 2,700 people in it who are just still just beginning to discover it. And it's great to see them embracing Healthy Deviants, what I, doing something I call calling out 
out the crazy, where they can see now the society through different eyes. And they're like, this is nuts. I just saw this advertisement, or I just got pitched on this product, which is crazy, or this body image, which is nuts. And that helps people then chime in and say, yeah, that is crazy. And that resistance collectively of the unhealthy default reality is really empowering for people and normalizing. So I think that's very important. The other thing that I've done in the past couple of years, which is new for me, is to start a membership experience where people are spending a full year or more together going through the process of learning the skills of what I call the skills of the healthy person. My opinion being that skills are a lot of what separate healthy people from unhealthy people. And anybody can become a healthy person or healthier if they learn the skills. So they're learning them together and practicing them together. And then we're building on that skill set over time, you know, that broaden and build strategy that all of psychology and behavior change has told us is what works. You begin with one thing and add another and then build rather than throwing somebody right into the deep end of the pool. And that experience has been absolutely extraordinary. I've learned so much watching people make changes at different paces in different ways but sharing the sense of meaning, increased purpose that comes from doing it together, cheering each other on, acknowledging their foibles or perceived failures, and then having people rally around them and saying, that's not you. That's the unhealthy default reality. You're doing great. Keep going. Here's what worked for me. And I find that to just be an exhilarating thing to witness. Of course. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You answered my question preemptively because I was really curious knowing that you have a number of programs, you know, what are the results if somebody actually commits to it for a year? I assume they'll find their purpose and this becomes a new identity that they're saying, like, right. yes, this is our role. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned the identity piece, Uli, because I do think that's a very conscious part of the program design. The four phases of Healthy Deviant U, as I call it, or HDU, are one, start where you are. Two, reclaim your mojo. Three, raise your game. And then four is be the change. And I actually went to the trouble of creating like game boards for each phase and making them really colorful and fun so that people, as they proceed through these different phases, are like following a path. It's like an Uncle Wiggly game or something. And the be the change part, which is the identity piece, building a healthy deviant identity, building a healthy deviant community, is some people get the start from that point. People who begin as healthy deviants already claim that sense of identity. For other people, stepping into the identity of a health seeker or a health motivated person is a lot more challenging because they've spent their whole life being something else. I really believe you don't have to call yourself a healthy deviant or label yourself like a health seeker. You can just be a normal person, but to decide to make your healthy choices a part of who you are and your bigger why is a really big deal. So I will say what I have seen and witnessed, it, it, it It's true. If you give yourself a year to make significant changes, you can be on a protocol while you're doing this. I think that works really well. Many people do it while they're doing a Whole30 or a gut rebuilding program or something or recovering from an injury. What to me matters the most is that you embrace this, as they say, as a way of life, but also as an adventure, as a learning journey and as a personal evolution, not just I'm going to be good on this program so I can get this result, but I am going to approach my way of living in the context of our unhealthy culture, choosing to be healthier than most people are most of the time, as a kind of quest that has inherent identity built into it. I am a person who is choosing to live this way and learning how to live this way every day makes a big difference. 
Now, you mentioned already Healthy Deviant You. Uh, you have a number of other programs, shorter programs. So yeah. can you walk us through the options and where people might want to start? Yeah. I know you also have a quiz to yeah. actually rate your current state if you are a Healthy Deviant. Um, yeah, the quiz is a great place to start, in my view. It's like 20 questions. It takes two minutes to answer. And what it does is it sort of places you somewhere on a healthy deviant spectrum from decidedly non-deviant all the way to hardcore healthy deviant. And depending on where you fall, the right place to begin the journey with me or anyone else might be a little bit different. For example, if you're in a kind of pre-contemplative or non-deviant mindset, either reading the book and having your mind shifted by virtue of that. You can listen to the audiobook or read the audiobook or just read an article or listen to one of a bunch of podcasts I've done on this topic. That's a great way to kind of an entry point. From there, I have everything from a five-day healthy deviant, I call it an unchallenge, <laughs> of learning how to like relax and reset yourself to a 14-day healthy deviant adventure to a six-week refine your life or change it completely program, and then various versions versions of Healthy Deviant You. The other thing which I've done recently that I'm really excited about is an initiative I'm calling Healthy Deviants at Work. And that is taking some of my existing products and programs, but blending them with people's corporate wellness initiatives or mm -hmm. what I now am calling uncorporate wellness, <laughs> because I think that's kind of a, it's sort of an oxymoron for a lot of people now. Corporate and wellness are not going together very well. But I think disrupting corporate wellness with a different culture-based approach is another passion of mine. And honestly, what's happened so much for me is that people have gone through my programs or read my book and said, this is amazing. This is really helping me. Boy, I wish they would do this at my work. I wish we could have this program through my work. And that to me makes all the sense in the world because so often, you know, organizations benefit from the vitality and resilience of their people until they're resilience and vitality starts to diminish and their mental clarity and of capacity. Course. Yeah. But then they expect individuals so, to underwrite their health transformation and it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Okay. Now it sounds to me, it's like, so if there's practitioners that want to get certified in your healthy deviant methodology, do you have a certification program or something like that? I do. <laughs> this, yeah, newly, I can say yes to that. I developed a Healthy Deviant You Mastery and Coach program that I just brought the first cohort through and they graduated in October, actually. And it's really, um, it's a nine month program. It's pretty robust, but the idea is that you're learning to ask different types of questions. And there are tool sets that I have that you would then get licensed to use, but it's been embraced by healthcare practitioners as well as health coaches, educators, and in some cases, corporate leaders that really want to be able to embrace this more deeply. It is also something that individuals decide to do just for themselves because they want to raise their game to that next level. So two audiences, but yeah. Awesome. So I love everything that you have shared because it really fits so much with the theme of the podcast of getting to yes, you know, understanding how you can say yes to yourself and, and get the outcomes that you want. Do you want to have the final word, what you want to leave people with as they enter into 2023? Oh, yeah. Well, I have a couple of mottos. One of them is the idea that you either need to break the rules or break yourself. And when people are finding themselves feeling broken or their body is showing signs of breakdown, I think it's often tempting to try to adhere more to the rules. And that term compliance is one that makes a lot of us just kind of shudder because 
nobody wants to be compliant really anymore. I think we need to start breaking some of the rules and assumptions that we've had about what we have to do or should do and begin thinking more for ourselves of what we want to function. Another motto that I have is just that normal is overrated. And I think if you look around our society right now, what passes for normal is really quite sick. And I think, you know, a lot of that awareness, um, a book that came out recently, and I think you probably talked to either this, to Gabor Mate or to the people who have been moved by his work around trauma in our society. Normal is not something that we want to aspire to anymore. So when people are feeling broken down, overwhelmed, freaked out, I just want to emphasize that is not you. That is a function of you living in a society that is really unhealthy and unhappy, predominantly. The statistics alone, that 97.3% of U.S. adults aren't practicing healthy habits, that's not your fault that you can't practice all those habits and then add on a healthy functional medicine <laughs> format to that whole thing. It's not you, it's our society. It's yeah. the unhealthy default reality. And I think that reframing is just super helpful to practitioners and individuals alike. Very well said. Thank you so much, Pila, for sharing your nuggets of wisdom. And for everyone listening, we put all the links in the show notes. So if you want to take the quiz at healthydeviant.com slash quiz, uh, there's all the other programs that Pila has talked about it. And we'll see you next week. I trust this episode was inspiring and that you'll join me for a new episode each and every week. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you are listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week. Music